I wanted to do whatever I could to save our marriage, even if it meant sacrificing all of me. And, and I, I worked really hard, and it seemed like no matter how hard, hard I tried, I, that's how it is with addiction. You always have relapses, and it took me a long time to get through all of that. From thereabouts, I'm Abby Levine, and this is Outspoken. If you're listening to this, you've probably participated in a sport for long enough to confront the question, how much of sport defines my identity? If I cycle, am I a cyclist? If I run, am I a runner? If I play kickball, am I a kickballer? Okay, I'm not sure if anyone identifies as a kickballer, but you get the point. When you pump up your tires or lace up your running shoes every day, that activity weaves into the fabric of who you are. Feeling engulfed by sport is one reason I abruptly quit racing professional triathlon several years ago. I felt like my own athletic career subsumed too much of my time, energy, and brain space. Really, too much of my identity. I felt stifled. Channeling my competitive drive into the looser framework of running gave me the freedom to pursue other interests, even other sports, to breathe life into myself. Rather than let sport define me, I gained control to define how sport fits into my own life. For Grace Fisher, sport has played an instrumental role in crafting who she is today. Running away from herself freed her to run into who she is. When her world felt like it was dissolving around her, Grace found that donning a headlamp and running into the dark led her to the light of community, joy, and acceptance. The more Grace leaned into running, the faster she got. Eventually, she found herself podiuming at ultra-distance trail races. In September 2018, Grace crossed the finish line as the first female overall at the Yeti 100 Endurance Run in Abington, Virginia. And as one of the very first, very fast, openly transgender ultra-runners, Grace has unexpectedly found herself at the focal point of driving the sport forward. That's a, a deep question, the second part. My name is Grace Fisher. Um, who am I? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> it's been a long journey trying to find out who I am. You know, I think about it a lot. I'm a runner. I'm a parent. I'm a wife. I'm so many things. <laughs> I grew up in a very sheltered LDS Mormon town in Brigham City, Utah. I loved it there. Loved the mountains. Missed the mountains. I wasn't into trail running much, though. And there's so much there. Right in my backyard. <laughs> I mean, life was really good. I, I had four brothers and parents. And, you know, I had a good life. It was sheltered. A lot of my, my identity, I just didn't know I could... Be, having the permission to be who I am, that, that wasn't really there. You know, I had a roadmap ahead of me and I had to follow those rules and, and it worked great for a while. I, I've been struggling a lot lately with my faith and this is hard. Um, there was love, for sure. 
With the majestic wall of the Wasatch Mountains as a backdrop, Grace spent a lot of time outside. She played youth soccer, but her favorite pastimes involved sweating up mountains with her siblings, especially mountain biking with one of her brothers. Our dream was to uh, start a bike repair shop and just mountain bike everywhere. From a young age, Grace could sense something felt off. She now recognizes she felt gender dysphoria, the feeling of discomfort, even distress, that comes along with your gender identity not aligning with your sex assigned at birth. But it's difficult to conceptualize or comprehend something if you don't have the words to understand it. We're limited by the recursiveness of language, after all. Sometimes our arsenal of words fail to let us grasp what we're feeling or seeing or even doing, especially as children, when our worldview is constrained by our vocabulary and life experience. Not having the words for it, I totally um, understand that and identify with that. I remember I was five years old or something, and I wore my little sister's dress and just was super elated. And I, I don't know what my parents said or did. Didn't do it again. And then I, I don't know why. Or, or maybe I did. I just don't remember. Um, I, I wish I could go back and um, talk to myself and see what I was thinking and just, just observe because so much that I, I don't remember. Maybe I've blocked it out. But, yeah, that, that feeling of there being something else but not really understanding what it is and, and having to... And I, this isn't... I'm sure it's not what the, the church means to do, but it felt like there was a... If, if it's not part of the mold, brush it under the rug and don't talk about it. And maybe that's my mom, too. She's very autistic. I oh. hope she doesn't hear this. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, she, she taught math in high school, and we just didn't talk about things. Like, the sex talk, I never had that. Part of that's the LDS culture. Part of that's just the way my mom was. She, All of that was just behind closed doors, didn't talk about things, um, just didn't talk. <laughs> I think until I got a therapist and started working on, through my addiction and finally was able to talk about things. Eventually, Grace's proclivity for endurance sports and perhaps an intrinsic need to run away from herself led her to the sport of running. Right before high school, I started running. They had a summer track program, and I joined that and had lots of fun and um, made lots of good friends. Our coach, he he called me Stud Muffin, and (laughs) (laughs) he was he was awesome. He was the one of the high school football coaches, and somehow I got invited to cross country, and so I, I ran cross country all four years of high school. Uh, lettered all four years, ran state a couple of times, didn't do well. <laughs> um, Those big high school races are very scary, you know, for running. I remember being very intimidated at my first big cross-country meet in high school. I, I did think the thing you're not supposed to do, I took some gels <laughs> that I had never had before. <laughs> And then I, I was just hot and tired, and oh. just didn't go well. I, I wasn't getting. I was, I was 
in the nerd community, like I, um, so I, I had a lot of AP classes and my, the thing, thing I really loved was learning and, um, I kind of focused more on studies and even if it meant all nighters and staying up late right before big meets and <laughs> running is a paradoxical sport. On the one hand, the barrier to entry is relatively low for many people. Lace up a pair of shoes and head out the door. On the other hand, running uniquely exposes your weaknesses. If you're not fit enough to sustain a jog, you're reduced to a walk. There's no coasting. That duality of ease and demoralizing exertion makes the sport uniquely magical. Running welcomes you in even when it's hard. And when you triumph, it's that much sweeter. Anybody can run. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to have great coordination. You don't have to be super strong. You just go out and run. And throughout high school, I, I learned, and I kind of see how that has really helped me, like, especially in high school. You know, I just showed up and ran, and I wasn't the best runner. I wasn't. I, I remember this one time I ran, there's a highway. I just went, ran through town and then onto this highway and I ran back. I think, it, I think it was eight miles. It might have been ten. I don't remember. But it took me like an hour and a half and I was so proud of it. It was like maybe a junior, 17 years old. After high school, sport faded from Grace's life for a bit. She invested her energy in her studies and served a two-year LDS mission in Hungary. Mission rules are pretty strict. You're paired with a companion missionary who you're supposed to stay with nearly all the time. There isn't much room for me time or pursuing your own passions. Yet when the going got tough, Grace found a way back to her stress outlet. Um, I do remember we had a really tough day and I just had enough. And I dragged my companion along with me to the track <laughs> like it was still daylight we were supposed to work a few more hours but I, I couldn't anymore so we uh, went to this track it was gravel or cinder or something and I just ran a bunch of laps and was probably super sore and being there in Hungary like games I don't know 30 40 pounds that European food I I'm a sucker for it and um, then I slimmed down a little bit after her mission and graduating from college Grace settled down like a good member of the LDS church. She got married, moved to Arizona, and took a job testing equipment for the U.S. Army. I majored in mathematics, and so I was the data person down there and really loved it. Like, yeah, it was hard. I was working sometimes 60, 70-hour weeks, sometimes working at night. Despite being married with one son and another along the way, Thriving in her job and relishing the sunshine of Arizona, Grace lived in fear and sadness. Her sense of not feeling at home in her own skin had not gone away. It had gotten worse. Grace slept in lingerie on business trips. She tried feminizing herbs. The feminine clothes calmed her. She grew addicted to porn. We had my ex-wife, now ex-wife, and I had... One boy with a second on the way. So I was, I was working a lot and had kids at home. And our marriage was not doing well. And I had 
my addiction had come back really strong and I was hiding it. And finally my wife forced me to get a therapist and it was the, it was the best thing I could have done or she could have made me do. <laughs> Turned out that this the therapist I went with was also LDS, so he kind of understood a lot of where I was coming from and that was very helpful. And having that, that safe space to talk about things that I couldn't talk to my wife about. I had heard of transvestites and that was just so repulsive to me at the time. And like, like it was just not possible. You know, it was just out of my concept of what could be. Like, no, and, and part of that's the culture, you know, and not just the LDS culture, but the US culture. You know, they were very shamed and it was wrong, you know. I, I do remember, like, and I, as I've looked back, I've, like, most of my friends that I, I did talk with were girls, and I remember, like, maybe watching the cross-country, the girls' cross-country team and thinking how kind of being jealous, kind of, what's the English word? Um, <laughs> sometimes I still dream in Hungarian and sometimes wow. um, what's the Hungarian word? yeah <laughs> it's like it's a year and after or, or, like I would watch the girls and I don't know in my mind emulate them but not not be bold enough not have the courage to try it in real life because it wasn't mm. I, I was a boy and that was it I wanted to do whatever I could to save our marriage, even if it meant sacrificing all of me. And I, I worked really hard, and it seemed like no matter how hard I tried, I, that's how it is with addiction. You always have relapses, and it took me a long time to get, get through all of that. As with most things in life, the path forward was neither linear nor easy. Like in Hungary, when it became too much, Grace also found herself drifting back towards her original stress outlet. Somewhere along there, I, I started running. And at work, they had an indoor gym that I had access to. So I was able to... I, I first started because it was never used, and I could go in at any time of the day. Um, a lot of times, we would working would work nights because we had to, the equipment we te tested had to be tested at night. So sometimes before or after work, I would go to the gym and get on a treadmill. Sometimes I'd, I'd run around the base there and in the dark with no headlamp. <laughs> so the therapy, like, so why I brought up the running is that I started doing what my therapist later called daily tasks. Uh, or dailies and and I just did it on my own and then I started going to group therapy and he said okay you guys need to do these dailies and and they need to be you know one physical one creative one mental you know do one thing daily in each special area of life that will help you keep going and so you know I, I, I at that time I started writing in my journal every day. And I still write in my journal every day, and it's been huge help. One, 
I think I'm a little autistic too, so just talking to people is hard and trying to relate what it is I'm feeling doesn't always come across. And then being able to practice that, both in writing and with my therapist, it really helped me first understand what it was I was feeling uh, and put words to it and then be able to express it, both with the addiction and discovering my identity and that it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be me. And running isn't therapy, but it, it was definitely a tool I used to help me recover and get through, get through the divorce, get through the addiction, and continue to stay sober. I, I've really grown to love my daily journaling. In therapy, I had met another person who ran, and we started running together. And I think he kind of, he had run Boston and St. George Marathons a couple times and kind of got me excited. I was like, yeah, I don't, I, I didn't know whether I wanted to run Boston or not, but you know, I, I ran that Yuma Marathon and in training I had ran 28 miles. So just, just to be safe, <laughs> I wanted to be 100% sure I could run that far. One or two weeks before, I, I wasn't a believer in tapering. I ran 28 miles and then I, I ran that Yuma Marathon in 308 something. Grace just missed qualifying for the Boston Marathon that year. So she was not there when at 2.49 p.m., two homemade pressure cooker bombs exploded 14 seconds apart near the finish line of the race, killing three people and injuring hundreds more. Grace qualified for Boston the next year. She raced the iconic marathon for the next five years in a row. But even after her first marathon, Grace felt like that wasn't far enough. In high school, I always knew I liked 10Ks better than 5Ks. I liked the longer distance. 5Ks were just hard and short and over before I knew it. I, I liked running out alone and just going for a long time. And then that, that running buddy that I started going with, he talked a lot about marathons and thought I'd give it a try. And so I, I ran the Yuma Marathon and then I was like, oh, this isn't enough. So I ran the 50K in California. It was here, after running for 50 kilometers up and down the quad-torching hills around Lake Cuyamaca, just outside of San Diego, that Grace found herself running home. My feet were covered in dirt, <laughs> all that sand. Yeah. And just staying afterwards, chowing on pizza, just having a good time, that was... It was great, the trail running community, and that, that was the first... Like, oh, I, kind of like this and yeah not just because I like to go longer but having that community broke me in and I felt more acceptance and affirmation as a trans runner in the trail community than anywhere else and it's it's because you know we're all 100 mile races or 50ks whatever they're they're hard no matter who you are everybody has a bad day everybody has and, and I think Part of coming out has really opened my eyes that everyone has a story, whether they're trans or former lawyer or <laughs> whatever. And on the trails, we can share those stories and really get to know each other or off the trails. Despite her infatuation with the trail running world, the prospect of running anything longer than a 50K sounded absurd. I didn't want to run 100 milers. That was like crazy. Some of the cross-country girls our, our senior year, they talked about 
how they were training for St. George Marathon. I was like, I'll never do that. That's just too long. That's crazy. And then um, I'm doing 100 milers, considering longer distances. As Grace discovered her identity as a runner, she discovered her identity as a human. Grace and her wife filed for divorce, and Grace moved to D.C., a new beginning. I knew that when I moved to the D.C. area and met with others, it just clicked. Like, I finally understood who I was. I'm not super social, so I kind of keep my distance. (laughs) Maybe that's why I go the distance. No. (laughs) Um, And then eventually I found the Virginia Happy Trails community. It was kind of between this, between places. Later, I started taking hormones first, and I hope nobody does this, but I I self-prescribed, self-medicated, and it's sadly very common in the trans community. But not long after moving to D.C., I was able to find an endocrinologist and a, a clinic that allowed me to start hormones without having to follow the WPATH guidelines of living as a woman fully for two years. That kind of used to be the general, it's been very a step up the hill of one step back, two up, one down. Like I started hormones and I was living alone, kind of androgynously, but then at work, you know, I wore the suit and tie and used my old name that continued for a little bit. And then I, I came out at work and uh, came out to my now wife. Like I, I told her two weeks after starting dating that I had this because my hair was not super long, but it was longer. And she had noticed I had fingernail polish and we went to church together. But, you know, I still wore the suit and tie. And, but I was on hormones and there were changes happening. <laughs> because of the the medication and um then we got married and met my wife i was completely open with her one thing i learned from the first marriage hiding and not being honest (laughs) drives a wedge and having my wife's complete support and acceptance it was a game changer you know i could be myself i didn't have to worry about what she thought whether she believed if i wore a dress, whether I put fingernail polish on, just having that that safety to be myself, it was very helpful both for my emotional, mental, everything, health. Somewhere in there, I, I, you know, she helped me pick out clothes and I came out at work and then kind of took a step backwards. I was still on hormones, but I I got a new job and I went back to being male at work because I wasn't sure if it was right for me and then this came out again at work (laughs) like a year or two later and that's what it's been ever since then and then with running it was kind of the same you know I I registered as male all the time and I remember this 150 miler I ran and at the aid stations they kept saying you're the first female even though I Mm. wasn't registered as female why weren't you, I, I, I just looked like it. Why weren't you registering as, as female in those races? I think that one I had tried to. And the race director, 
caught that it differed from any of my other races. And so he called me while I was out on a run and we talked about it and I, I settled for going back to registering as male as long as I could get a, a female shirt. I was just going with the flow. I'm really scared of confrontation. So I just went with it. I think I just shrugged it off. I didn't care that much about it at the time. And maybe because I, I expected it and I, I remember registering and being nervous about checking the other box. And then later I figured out that it was wrong of him to even question because <laughs> it's a USATF race. And at the time the USATF had the guidelines where race directors aren't supposed to question the gender identity. I, I had a great race and had a great time. I mean, not just my racing time, but... Right, right, right. You had a great time. <laughs> I had a great time racing. Great time right. racing. One of my mission companions was actually around it. And so it was, I hadn't seen him since, you know, it had been 15 years since I saw him. And so it was good to see him. It, it was his first ultra and uh, he, he did pretty well. I kept it from him that I, I was female and haven't really talked to him since. The act of running set Grace free to be herself. Yet the policies in place sometimes got in the way, such as the first few times Grace raced the Boston Marathon. I think the first two times I registered as a man. The first two, okay. And, and either the second or the third, I registered as female using my old name. And then the next one, I hadn't changed my name legally. And I asked if I could have them use my preferred name, even though it wasn't legal yet. And they came back and said no. And I had registered as female, and that never came up. But then when I went and got my packet at pickup, I had to go talk to somebody. And I think that's when they told me no about my name. And I didn't know, but they also changed female back to male. Even though the year previous I had run as female. But my, my driver's license did show female, so I had changed that legally, just not my name. Mm -hmm. And so I, after the, I, I didn't notice it until I think I was checking my results that it was showing male. And um, so, so I emailed them and a couple of weeks later, they finally fixed it after sending my, a picture of my ID. And Finally, thanks to the bravery and tenacity of runners like Grace, Boston clarified their trans athlete policy. In 2018, the Boston Athletics Association, the organization that puts on the famed race, publicly stated that athletes can race under their affirmed gender identity. It was just in the zeitgeist, <laughs> to use a term um, in the whole country and the world that, you know, trans runners are there and there was so much progress at the time. And I think that's why Boston changed and theirs was their policy was very liberal you know just let anybody run it whatever and it's good <laughs> Grace's quest to run longer continued she raced a 50 miler and got married the next week and or maybe the next day I don't know it was Wait. <laughs> but that wasn't enough of a challenge so Grace raced the Boston Marathon in April and a 100-miler in June. Yeah, because my dad came out, and <laughs> That's he, he, he came up to Boston with us and watched me at the 100-miler, and it was so nice of him. On May 17, 2014, 
With her dad on the sidelines, Grace ran her first 100-miler over the gnarled, rooted trails of Fort Valley, Virginia. Her time of 27 hours and 39 minutes earned her sixth place overall for females. She was hooked. And so began a three-year love affair with the Vermont 100, a bucolic ultra over the rolling dirt roads of Vermont. Grace ran it three years in a row, from 2016 to 2018. She got faster each year, yet her results slid down from second place overall to third to sixth. Grace credits this with an increasingly formidable field of women towing the line. If we had all day, you would hear Grace wax on about how much she respects her competitors. So I guess it was 15, 15, 16, 17. I run Vermont 100. No questions asked. Gina Slabby, amazing runner. She kills it. And I think I was at mile 40 and the aid station asked, you want to know how far ahead of you the next female runner is? Because they told me I was in second place. And I was like, no. They told me anyway. (laughs) She's like an hour and a half ahead of me. Oh, my God. Like, no, I don't want to know that. I mean, she she was on the uh, 124-hour national team. With about 15 miles left, I'm just done. I've been in second place all day, but I, I just keep going. And Jenny Hoffman, she passes me. She, she's, she's also on the 24-hour team. And then, so I'm in third place. Okay, I've got 10 miles left. And then somebody else passes me. <laughs> I'm, I'm very competitive. But somebody had told me that like the last two or three miles, there's an uphill and a downhill, a small uphill. And my strength is definitely the uphills. So there's an aid station, an unmanned aid station at the bottom of the hill. I don't know if I stopped and filled my bottles or not, but I just charged up that hill. And I passed the other runner, and then I passed Jenny. And later she tells me that I just flew by like it was nothing. (laughs) She's, She's been a real good friend, and we really talked a lot at Vermont. And so I end up getting second place in a time of 1920, 1940. I don't know. It was like an hour and a half behind Gina. And um, Kathleen Cusick, she usually wins. She's, She's an amazing, awesome runner. I don't know how she does it. She's older than me, and she's still killing it. That week, this is how badass she is. She had, I, I heard she had been in the hospital for a leg infection. And so she still comes to Vermont and throws it down. I think she ended up in fifth place. Um, and I think she was struggling with Lyme disease too. These may oh be God. rumors, but <laughs> That's awful. I, I know she wasn't. I, I ran with her around mile 30 and never saw her again. Um, she did say she had been, was struggling. And anyway, I, I finished second place in one of the slowest podium times ever but somehow <laughs> I did and um, Amy Yusecki the race director mm-hmm. another amazing runner she you know she's just super amazing and probably hugged me at the finish I don't remember next day at the award ceremony there was a little mix up but there was no problems at all you know she gave me the second place awards and uh, I got my free shoes Woo! <laughs> <laughs> And then I think it was the next year I I find out that she had received a bunch of crap 
about giving me second place. I'm not a bunch, but you know, some people had emailed her, but she stood by it. And I think that's when she, we, she called me and she asked how she could respond to people and super supportive. And so I got third place that year, about an hour faster. And then the next year I ran again, improved. I got, I think another 20 minutes faster and got sixth place. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I was off the podium. The last time Grace ran the Vermont 100 in 2017, she set a PR by 20 minutes and finished in sixth place, one step off the podium. At the time, the Vermont 100 awarded the top 10 men and only the top five women. Thanks mostly to advocacy within the sport of ultra running, in 2018, the Vermont 100 modified its policy to award both the top 10 men and women. The backlash Grace and the Vermont 100 race director faced centered around a concern that transgender athletes, namely male to female transgender athletes, hold an unfair biological advantage over their cisgender female competitors. Categorically, the top men outperform the top women. In fact, there is about a 10 to 12% time gap between elite men and women for most running events. That's why the female competition category exists in the first place. And it's why legal measures like Title IX in the United States require institutions to set aside and protect separate and equal funding, facilities, and opportunities for women and girls. While complex biological processes explain these performance differences, the discrepancy seems to largely boil down to hormones. Those little chemicals circulating throughout the bloodstream help dictate lean muscle mass, strength, and endurance. While perhaps not the only hormone involved, the primary culprit in this sex difference seems to be testosterone. High levels of testosterone flood through cisgendered men's veins, chiseling their bodies into muscular machines. When Grace started taking hormone replacement therapy, she felt her strength wane. Yet, since Grace's resurgence into running as an adult overlapped with her transition, it would be reductionistic to assume Grace would simply slow down when she started hormone therapy. Brute strength isn't the only variable dictating ultra-running performance. You need endurance accrued from years of training. And perhaps most importantly, you need a tough mind. It wasn't until after her transition that Grace hired a coach, David Roach of Some Work All Play Coaching, and buckled down with training, nutrition, and racing. It was gradual, like over one or two years. And maybe since I had self-medicated for years before, I, I just didn't notice before I really got into running. And, and maybe some people look at my times and see, oh, she didn't really slow down. Well, I, I got a lot smarter in my training and my exactly. nutrition. And so there, there's just so many factors in there. but. As comparison, my fastest 5K in high school was 1630. Um, and that was my junior year, so I was almost 17. And the first mile split, supposedly it was a full mile. I kind of doubt it. It was four, under 430. And I've never, like in track, I ran like 450 miles usually. So I was definitely for the mile and two mile distances, I was like, None of this 400 short yeah. stuff. The hormones, I, I have noticed, like, 
I can't lift as heavy of things. You know, like I used to be able to lift so much. And some of that, yes. Some of it is I'm, I'm older and that's to be expected, but the hormones have definitely had an impact. Um, I, I'm just story of one and equal one, but I have noticed differences both in terms of my lifting capability, but also my running. Like I used to run, my easy pace has definitely slowed down. And that was just, you know, just a few years ago. That there is science behind it. Joanna Harper has done a lot of, she's trans and she's done a lot of research. Studies suggest that hormone replacement therapy levels the playing field between cis and transgender women. This therapy regimen includes estrogens, antiandrogens, progestrogens, and gonadotropin-releasing hormone modulators, which work in conjunction to develop secondary female sex characteristics. They also suppress testosterone levels. In 2015, Joanna Harper published a study in the Journal of Sporting Cultures and Identities comparing the athletic performances of trans women before and after at least one year of hormone replacement therapy. Her findings revealed that transgender women with testosterone levels consistent with cisgender women had no performance advantage as runners. In fact, these findings held for all seven years she followed the athletes under study. With only eight participants, Harper's study was small. More studies should and are being conducted. But given that the needle points to parity, many athletic governing bodies, such as USA Track and Field and the International Olympic Committee, follow the science and support inclusion. Some people suggest that despite these results, hormone therapy is not enough. Trans women may still retain vestiges of additional strength they accrued through years of development. How can it all go away, they wonder. But there's a problem with this line of thinking. It boils down to an implicit assumption that transgender women are not real women, and also then that transgender men are not real men. We tacitly accept genetic advantage in sport. Some people simply have stronger aerobic engines, glutes, or minds than others. Why do we perceive any potential genetic difference among cis and trans women as any different? As a female athlete, I want to race the best female athletes, all of them. Furthermore, what discriminatory policies ignore is the psychological toll transgender athletes face. And then the, just the confidence of, you know, this is a plus, the confidence of being able to run is who I am, that definitely yes. helps, but the, the hormones still have quite a factor. You know, my, my bone mass doesn't really change. So compared to another woman of about my size, I, I have about the same muscles, but I have more bone mass. And, and as David preaches, you know, don't worry about the weight, just eat, because it's more important that you're fully fueled. After Grace earned an entry to compete at the 2019 Western States, the board of directors got to work. They gave Grace a call. A few months before the race, Craig Thornley and Diana Fitzpatrick, they contact me and say, hey, we're going to enact this new policy for trans runners. What do you think about it? So we, we talk a lot, and it's, it's a great policy. Basically, kind of follows a combination of USATF and IOC guidelines. Um, and I had some questions, which they cleared up for me about it. And the next day, they released it, and I ran Western States and had no problem. And 
Western states created one of the most inclusive transgender race policies in the country. Male to female transgender athletes can register as a female as long as they have undertaken continuous and medically supervised hormone treatment for gender transition for at least one year before the race. Western states accepts a runner's self-declared gender at face value, shedding the burdensome and humiliating regulations of many organizations. Western states retains the right to ask for further proof only if an athlete wins an award, helping to ensure fairness to all athletes who toe the line. Female to male transgender runners can compete with no restrictions. While I was running, it seemed like every single member of the Western States board knew who I was. But not only that, they, they made me feel welcome. They cheered me on. Grace finished in 20th place for females overall. By supporting inclusion, races like Western States help lift this burden off of athletes' shoulders. This simple step also serves as an act of recognition and validation. All athletes' humanity matters. In fact, affirming everyone's humanity is what matters most. By letting trans athletes run free, Western States liberates athletes to return to why they started running in the first place, so they can fully be themselves. And this is true for the whole LGBT community. There's such a fear that builds up about, and so much shame about being who we are. And then that we're afraid to tell anybody. I, I was definitely afraid, especially with my background. And then I tell somebody, like, maybe when I told my now wife, and her reaction wasn't one of disgust and shame. It was complete love. And just coming out, it's, it's amazing. Um, Maybe I could have gotten addicted to coming out. <laughs> because you're so afraid, and then either people don't really care that much, or they're like totally affirming and receiving that confirmation and that, that affirmation of it's okay, you are you. That's a huge lift. And so, not just in the running sphere, but in life, being able to be myself huge bonus, as you say. Um, it, it's a definite lift, boost to my, my self-esteem to, and, and to do that in, in running, which is such a part of who I am. It, it just helps me be more whole. I don't have to hide who I am. And that's, it's an amazing feeling. As the greater trail running community welcomed Grace into its fold, she started finding that acceptance closer to home as well. Like my mom and I still haven't talked about it. My my dad calls me by my name, by Grace, and all my brothers and sister do. My little brother, he's gay and married. <laughs> he's so adorable. <laughs> he, he and his husband are just so cute together. Having his support and my oldest brothers, all of them, has been really nice. Um, my, my sister, some, they still slip up and either use my old name or use he, her, he, him, mm. instead of she, her. And part of that's, you know, I'm just not around. I don't talk to them as much. But 
every every time my little brother says sister, I just I don't know, I I melt. I get oh, like, oh thanks. I <laughs> It would be reductive to say that the only thing that makes Grace's story special is that she's transgender. Like for so many of us, her story is really about connecting to the land and the people around us. It's about finding our place in the world. My feet were covered in dirt, <laughs> all that sand. And just staying afterwards, chowing on pizza, just having a good time. That was, it was great, the trail running community. And that, that was the first, I kind of like this. And yeah, not just because I like to go longer, but I felt more acceptance and affirmation as a trans runner in the trail community than anywhere else. And it's it's because, you know, we're all 100 mile races or 50 Ks, whatever. They're, they're hard. And no matter who you are, everybody has a bad day. Everybody has. And, and I think part of coming out is really opened my eyes that everyone has a story, whether they're trans or former lawyer or <laughs> whatever. And. Uh, on the trails, we can share those stories and really get to know each other or off the trails. LGBTQ plus rights have come under fire in America over the past several years. The sporting arena is no exception. In March, Idaho's governor, Brad Little, signed the, quote, Fairness in Women's Sports Act, unquote, banning transgender athletes from competing on women's sports teams. A federal judge overruled that deceptively named law this summer. But 10 other states proposed discriminatory laws against trans people in this year alone. Once upon a time, there was no such thing as an ultramarathon. Women weren't allowed to compete in the marathon at the Olympic Games until 1984. Once upon a time, in fact, only 46 years ago, there was no Western states. Sport evolves with time, with societal change. While trophies may be carved out of stone, sport is not. Sport reflects society. And, at its best, sport drives society forward. Do we want to create a sporting model that lifts people up and brings them together? Or one that tears people down and drives them apart? As this legislative turmoil unfolds, I've thought about grace. Not just grace the athlete, but grace the human, the mother, the wife, the daughter. And I've thought about why any of us compete in sport in the first place. As the world asks questions of how Grace and other trans athletes fit into our sporting system, we ask the question, how does sport fit into Grace's life? And is the system serving her and society at large as best it can? Outspoken is a Therabouts production. Produced and edited by Abigail Levine and Angus Morton. Sound design and mix by Ben Cornell. Executive producers Isaac Kearson and Angus Morton. Music by the enigmatic Builders T. You can find our podcast on iTunes and Spotify. You can get in touch with us on Instagram at APLevine for Abby, at that is Gus for Gus, or at here or thereabouts. Thank you so much for listening. Reporting live from the Liker Highway of Boulder, Colorado, this is Abby Levine. <laughs>